0: Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 is our first reading, I think the words, and there's been a, yep. The Lord had said to Aram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, and the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set off from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah, at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east east of Bethel and pitched his tent With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Our second reading is in Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make the nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you will be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. My God, bless his word to us today. Thanks, Shane.
1: Well, keep your Bibles and passages open, and uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our eyes as we read your word, that we might gain understanding, that we might know you and love you and praise you and serve you all the more. Amen. Well, seeds are amazing things, aren't they? You think about a seed, it can start uh, this tiny, tiny little thing and grow into an enormous tree. Uh, Seeds can survive uh, being burned, being frozen in ice, uh, being swallowed and digested and spat back out again. Uh, They can survive spending months floating at sea until they finally wash up on the shore. Uh, Seeds can survive being dormant for an incredibly long time, uh, even up to 2,000 years, in the case of one date palm. See, seeds, they wait until the right conditions and the right moment to germinate and begin to grow. Well, this term, as we're following uh, the Bible's story, we're following uh, the story of all of human history from the very beginning right through to the very end, from creation to new creation. And, And we're following and seeing that this whole story is about God's plan to build his kingdom, his plan that he showed right back at the beginning of what he's going to do right at the end. In our first week, uh, back at the beginning, we saw the pattern or the blueprint for God's kingdom in the Garden of Eden. We saw God's perfect people, Adam and Eve, in God's perfect place, beautiful garden, under God's perfect rule, to fill the earth, subdue it, to rule it, and to eat anything except for the fruit from one tree. We saw them under God's perfect blessing. They had the tree of life to eat and live forever. They had perfect relationships with God, with each other and with the world that he had made for them. Everything was good, nothing was bad. But then we saw last week, it didn't last very long as we know, uh, till the pattern was perished. Adam and Eve decided to make their own rules. They listened to Satan, the snake, and rebelled against God's rule. Everything broke. And instead of being recipients of God's unending blessing, they found themselves on the receiving end of God's curse. Their treason ruined everything. It ruined their relationship with God, their relationship with each other, their relationship with the good world that God had made. Everything now was hard. Everything now would decay. Everything would die. There would be conflict and trouble for all the rest of human history. But we saw last week that in all that despair was that little seed, that little seed of hope. See, God didn't crush the rebels then and there. Instead, he actually made them an incredible promise, a blessing in the middle of all that curse. God promised that one day... Someone would come from Adam and Eve's family who would deal with the mess that they had made, who would crush that serpent, the devil, and deal with the problem of sin forever. But from that little promise, that little seed sat dormant for a very long time. Many, many years, many generations, thousands of years passed, and that seed just sat there doing nothing, waiting until suddenly that seed began to germinate and that promise began to grow when God spoke to Abram. Look at verse 1 of that first reading. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, from your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on the earth will be blessed through you. See, so when God tells Abram to go, what's, what's he giving him? Not a rhetorical question. What, what's he giving him? Any takers? He's giving a commission. He's giving a commandment. He's giving his rule, isn't he? And where is he sending him to? He's sending him to God's place. And what is he making Abram into? He's promising to make him into a great nation of God's people. And what's he promising to do for them? Well, to bless them. So God gives his rule to make his people in his place under his incredible blessing. And we see just how saturated this is with blessing. Five times in those few sentences, God uses the word bless. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. All peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. It's dramatically different to the tragic uh, tragic interaction we looked at last week. Last week, when Adam and Eve rejected God's rule and God spoke to them, it wasn't saturated with blessing but curse. So here we learn that at the end of the day, at the end of all history, it's blessing, not curse, that will be predominant. It's blessing that will overtake the curse that we brought about by our sin. See, these promises to Abraham are the opposite of the curses of the fall. Where Adam was cursed, Abram was blessed. Where Adam was driven out from the land, out from God's place, Abram is being brought in to God's place. Where Adam and Eve were separated from God, Abram is being brought in to relationship with God. And where Adam and Eve brought curse upon all peoples of the earth, through Abraham, God would bring blessing to all peoples of the earth. Well, We learn here a few things as this promise begins to grow about the kingdom of God. You see there in your outline, point one, a kingdom through family. Have you ever uh, wondered why at church and in growth groups and among Christians, we, 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 kind of, we talk about church as a family. You know, when we talk about our finances, we kind of talk about our, our family finances as a church together. Uh, we talk about who we are together, we talk about being a family who loves one another. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that we talk a lot actually in church, about Israel, the people of Israel. You know, it seems kind of weird to sort of pick a nation on the other side of the world and just talk about them all the time. But it's because God's promise, Came through Israel. It's because they played a special and a central part in the history of God's kingdom, in the history of salvation, and that's our history. See, from the moment that God spoke to Abraham, from that point on, Abraham's family and the nation of Israel that grew from Abraham's offspring, they're central to the big story, central to. the story of all history central to the story of god's kingdom so god is saying that his kingdom will grow through a particular man a particular people in that second reading we see god's promise god said i will be their god they will be my people the serpent crusher would come through israel and they would be a great nation, but still a family. So did you notice actually in, verse, uh, in chapter 17, that second reading there, they won't just be one family, and Abram won't just be the father of one family, but God actually changes his name to show that he'll be a family of many families. Have a look at verse 4 of chapter 17. God said, as for me, this is my covenant with you, You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, which means exalted father, but your name will be Abraham, which means father of many nations. See, while these promises come through Abraham and his family, we see here at the very early stages that God's kingdom would be a great big family made up of Many, many families. And this is why we talk about church as family. And it actually shapes the way we think about church. It shapes the way we think about each other. Because the whole point of the family is that it's held together by a common DNA, a common ancestry, a common parentage. And we're held together, adopted into Abraham's family, because we're adopted into God's family, our Heavenly Father. It's a kingdom of family, but it's also it points to a kingdom of grace. I wonder, have you ever been chosen for anything big? I don't mean just kind of uh, chosen to be the person that goes and cleans the bathroom. I mean, that's, yeah. But have you ever been sort of chosen for something significant? Uh, maybe a coach or a scout... Who, who chose you to sort of fast-track you for development or maybe for sort of a state team or, or play at a higher level. Uh, maybe a teacher who uh, gave special instruction and, and sort of took you in and tutored you and was committed to seeing you achieve and grow academically. Or maybe you've been taken under the wing of an employer uh, or someone above you uh, as a protege or a successor in business or whatever field. Or maybe you've been uh, singled out by an older Christian who's taken the time to invest in loving you, in reading God's word with you, praying with you, and helping you grow as a disciple. Now, usually when we get chosen in those cases, it's often because of something about us. Uh, Often we're chosen because of our merits, our skills, our personality, the results that we've achieved, or something to that effect. But we see here in the story of Abraham that being chosen by God is not about us. It's not like that at all. See, do you know, actually, in the Bible so far before this point, the only thing we've learned about Abraham is who his genealogy, who his parents and grandparents and great-grandparents were, who his brothers are, who his wife is, and who his nephew is. And where they lived. They're the only things we're told about Abraham. So Abram at that point. We're not told at all what he's like. We're not told anything at all about his character. We're not even told which God he worshipped. Because it's highly likely he didn't worship Yahweh, the one true God. There's nothing about Abraham here to explain why God chose him. That's because it's got nothing to do with Abraham himself. God's choosing has everything to do with God and his kindness, his mercy. See, Abram didn't deserve to be chosen to receive God's mercy. He didn't deserve to be brought into God's kingdom. But neither do we. Abram, just like Adam and Eve, deserved God's wrath and his judgment, his righteous anger for his rebellion and his treason against God. And so do we. But God shows grace to Abraham. His promises didn't come because Abraham was awesome. It came because God is awesome and gracious and kind. And God hasn't chosen us because we are awesome. Because honestly, we're not. God chose us because of his grace. And doesn't that that kind of break you in the loveliest way there is to be broken? To know that he has poured out his grace on us when we deserve nothing. And it breaks down our pride and turns it into love and praise and thankfulness to God, our incredible Father. It's a kingdom of grace. But it's also, point three, a kingdom received by faith. Have a look uh, at chapter 12 and verse 4, that first reading there. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out from the land of Canaan. Now in this church, we have people who have done what Abram did. People who have left their country or maybe their state, their people, their families, their friends, their work, their businesses, their livelihoods, and travelled to a new place, a new people, a new country, maybe with a new language, a new culture, We've got people from South Africa, from France, from Netherlands, from Singapore, from Congo, from Uganda, from England, from the Philippines, from USA, from Melbourne, even from Sydney. And people in this church have done that for many different reasons. There's many different reasons why many of us have moved. Uh, some of it, some of us have moved for love. Met someone. Uh, maybe while travelling and just couldn't, couldn't leave them alone and moved for love. Some of us have moved for work, some for affordability, some to follow family members, and others for safety. Well, at the sprightly age of 75, Abraham travelled about 900 kilometres from Turkey to Israel to move to a country he had never seen. Why? Because God had made a promise to him. And Abram believed that promise. You ever wondered what would have happened if Abram didn't go? God had spoken to him and he decided he'd stay in Haran. Well, God still would have built his kingdom. Just Abraham would have missed out but actually we're told that because Abram believed, because he obeyed, because of that faith to trust God's word and to act according to it, God actually credited righteousness to Abraham. Because he trusted God, God gave a gift of declaring Abraham righteous, holy. That problem that existed because of Back in the garden with Adam and Eve that broke us off from God, unholy, unrighteous, was gone because of his faith in God's promise. Now, did you notice, actually, that in all of that blessing, there was a curse? There in chapter 12, anyone who curses you shall be cursed. And that should remind us back to last week, back to earlier in the story where amidst the cursing there was a blessing. See, those who treat God's promise with contempt will be excluded from this blessing. Those who reject God's chosen servant will remain under the curse. And we see that again in chapter 17, the second reading in verse 9. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you and for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Verse 14, any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. See, this kingdom of grace is a kingdom that has to be received by faith, by trusting God's word, by accepting his word, by obeying his word, by holding on to his word. By coming on his terms and those who reject his rule, who don't willingly submit and accept the conditions of his kingdom will be cut off, just like Adam and Eve were cut off from God in the garden. The New Testament writers tell us to learn from Israel. Take a warning. Don't cut yourselves off by being unbelieving. Live by faith, trusting and obeying God's rule, hanging on to his promise. And next is a kingdom that's beyond this life. Have a look there at that chapter 12, verse 6. This is after Abrams arrived in the land God took him to. He travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah as Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. Abram built an altar. From there he went on, verse 8, towards the east and pitched his tent. There he built an altar to the Lord, called on the name of the Lord, verse 9. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So Abram travelled 900 kilometres to go to the land that God had showed him. When he got there, what does God say? I'm going to give this to the People from your family that come after you, your descendants. And then what did Abram do? He said, Well, I don't know what to do now. And he just wandered around. He spent the rest of his life wandering around outside the promised land that God had promised him. After having seen it, he didn't get to settle in it. One day he died never having received the promise that God had made. But he was content to do that. He trusted that God was faithful and would keep his promise. He knew that actually God's promise to him and the kingdom was bigger than his life and his death. He knew that even his death, not receiving the promise, wouldn't stop him from receiving the promise eventually. Well, after he waited 25 years, at the age of 100, finally he had a son, the son that God had promised, Isaac. And as Andrew alluded to earlier this morning, one day God spoke to Abram and he asked him to do a very strange thing. He told him to take that one and only son, that one son who God had said, I will build my people through Isaac. He said, take him up that mountain and kill him as a sacrifice. And how does that work? How can God's promise stand when the son who the promise is through is dead? But Abram acted in faith. The New Testament tells us that actually Abram his faith in God's promise was so strong that he even reasoned that God could raise Isaac from the dead to keep his promises. And he took him up, he made an altar, he laid his son down on the wood, and he raised his knife, and at that moment God called out, stop. And he sent a substitute, a ram, to die in his place. See, we know that God was only testing Abraham's faith. But he was actually also showing us something. He's showing us that true faith knows and believes and clings to the fact that God will keep and can and will keep his promises even through death. Even the death of the air, the death of the sun will not stop his promises coming true. He was pointing forward to the time when he would not withhold his only son but would sacrifice his only son on a mountain in that region. But the death would not end it. He can and would and did bring him back to life to keep the promise going. But we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. have still got a few weeks until we come to Jesus. Well, here we see the promise, the seed, has germinated and started to grow. Through Abraham, God will build his people. In Canaan, he'll plant them in his place. Under his covenant, they will live under his rule, by faith, and he'll shower them with blessing
0: instead of curse.